Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome back to the Beer Ladies podcast. I am Lisa and I am your host this evening or this morning or whenever we are appearing in your ear holes. And today we are talking about wild beers. And this is one there's you know so much we could talk about, but we want to try to keep this to a, a sort of manageable length. But we do want to touch a little bit on some history, you know, like we like to get into that. We want to talk a little bit about the different things wild can mean. We've got some other episodes out there on sour beers if you guys want to go back and have some some disambiguation, but we're also going to just tell some stories about times we've interacted with these kinds of uh, these kinds of beers, or maybe chosen not to, depending. We've got a little bit of everything, but before we get started this week, I want to remind you to like us, follow us, review us, share us on all of the socials. We are at Beer Ladies Pod essentially everywhere, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, and we are even on Facebook at Beer Ladies Podcast. We are on YouTube. You might even be watching us now. If so, hello. But before we dive in, I want to introduce my three co-hosts tonight. I am joined by Christina, Katie, and Tandy. So we have a full house. Hello, ladies. Hey. Hi. Excellent. So before we dive into wild ale, spontaneous fermentation, all of these things, we'll start with our usual what you're drinking, or if you're not drinking, what would you be drinking if you were? So Christina, we'll start with you. Well, it's been a day, so I'm drinking <laughs> tea. Um, but if I had like my fantasy beer for this episode, it would be a Rodenbach uh, Grand Cru. Very Love nice. that beer. Keeping it Belgian. Okay, Katie, how <laughs> about yourself? Okay, so I don't usually drink this type of beer, you know, <laughs> but uh for the month that's in it triannuary i have a ooh, can you see that there we go astrafa hendrik wild oh, that's probably okay. terrib- terribly pronounced it's brewed in bruges i think at the half moon brewery yep been there well we can talk about that but that that'll be an interesting one and Teddy, yeah. what do you have well these are pretty much my favorite kinds of beers. So <laughs> I, I kept a special one for this episode. It is by Tu'ul. It's part of the Nature Natir range. This one is a barrel-aged wild ale. It's called Blueprints of the Sun Blend Number 1. I'll show you the bottle there, but I'll just... Ooh. 
I'll just give you a little description in a sec. <laughs> ah, that's a big bottle. If you're just listening, that's a it's it's no a joke. big one. It's like a 750 mil. And I bought a number of these when McHugh's re- like stocked or released a whole bunch of these sort of special, spontaneous, wild fermented bottles from Tool. I bought a couple of each. Um, and I was like, yes, these will just be somewhat special occasion beers and somewhat just when I want to do something funky. Mm. So this one says it's a blend of 10 barrels aged between three and 18 months, brewed with raw wheat, malted barley and SARS hops, a spectrum of character from our oldest yet most simple base of base beers uh, are brought together to complete, uh, to create a complex sum. Clearly I can't read or speak to <laughs> So good thing we're on a podcast. Um, and yes, so what is actually nice about these from the ones that I've had before to this one now as well, they're, um, Mixed culture, saison and wild ales, and then they're blended and all the different things. They tend to be open fermented, which we'll get to some definitions of that later, aged in oak. And then what they do is to bottle condition them, which just means to carbonate in the bottle, they use raw honey. So they've kind of got this very, um, it's a very comprehensive kind of approach to the whole sort of very natural, spontaneous kind of thing going. And this one is 6.4%. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, yes, I've enjoyed all of the rest of them too. So this is just lovely. Oh, yes. Lovely color there too. And and mm. uh, coincidentally, I also lovely have a beer gold. from <laughs> Ta'ol, uh, although mine is a Goza. So mine is a Ta'ol and Saltwerk. So Saltwerk is actually, uh, like the name sounds, a saltworks from Iceland that they have done a collab with. So the collab on that end was just getting the um, the salt uh, and a bit more. It's a, it's there Goza, the seawater pipe, and it's an Arctic thyme sea salt lemon Goza. So there's, it sounds like there's a lot going on here, but but actually it's it's just a sort of lovely light, you know, 5%. Uh, and it's, it's definitely got sort of, uh, sort of fruity and kind of, um, you know, kind of a citrusy kind of thing. And it's, it's got that tartness, um, no, yeah, that you would expect from a Goza, but uh, again, this is not something that these days is going to be wild fermented uh, necessarily. So I think good segue to say, you know, not all wild beer is sour and not all sour beer is wild. So we can talk a little bit about what some of these things mean. And I know Tandy, you're already nodding because you know <laughs> we need to define a lot of these things. So we'll put some of our BJCP hats on. So what do we mean when we say wild fermented? Right. So cast your minds um, back to before yeast came in little packets. You know, <laughs> yeast yeast has been around for a billion years. And the way that people were making alcohol, even before they knew what yeast was, and I'm sure I'm not going to step on any of the historians' toes, but <laughs> it's it was basically... Um, People thought it was magic or they didn't know really what it was, but it's these organisms. I mean, yeast is just an organism that comes from the air. It's everywhere that we are. It's on our skin. It's on fruit. It's in wood. It's everywhere. So when we're talking about kind of wild ales or spontaneous fermentation or open fermentation, what we're really talking about is the kinds of yeasts or the kinds of bacterias that we're not sort of manufacturing or you know, using a, a mass-produced kind of yeast for. Um, one of the types of wild ales is an open fermentation or a spontaneous fermentation. And that just, it is kind of what it says in the tin. So when you've brewed your wort and your wort is just your sugary water liquid before you've added any yeast um, to it, 
you know, what people will do, whether at homebrew scale or on commercial scale, is leave it to um, effectively cool down and also gain a whole lot of bacteria and bugs from the environment in an open container, as opposed to what most brewers do, which is transfer it closed, keeping all oxygen and any other kind of bug away. So open fermentation does some of the first bit of its fermentation in an open vessel, sometimes a cool ship, sometimes something similar. And a cool ship really just is a big stainless steel, almost like a trough. Um, and so that's that's an open fermentation. Um, spontaneous can be the same or it can be different. So sometimes open fermentation uses the yeasts and the bacteria and the bugs that are kind of around you in a very specifically cultivated way. So if we talk about beers like Lambics, you know, these, these beers have been brewed in the same place for many thousands of years or many hundreds of years, they've got almost their own terroir. And, mm -hmm. and that makes it somewhat predictable, whereas spontaneously fermented beers could be from anywhere. They could be fermenting up in your attic and you won't know what's in your attic. You don't have an established sort of colony of, of bacteria and bugs that you can almost kind of predict what it's gonna be like, but it is a reliance on natural yeasts out there in the world. Um, and as Lisa said, not everything is sour and not all sour beers are wild, but wild, we're really just talking about yeast that's around us and not just in a packet. Yes, it's, it's like the force, it's all around us. Yeast mm. is, you know, mm. surrounds us and binds us. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop. But it's uh, it's definitely, it's, it's out there. And, and, you know, once upon a time, if we're talking, you know, in the vast, you know, sort of depth of history, all beer would have been spontaneously fermented. Again, whether you're talking about an open container or even mm -hmm. once, you know, you get much more sophistication and we're thinking or talking, you know, sort of, you know, 17th, 18th century, even if you're doing this at what's beginning to be a commercial scale, and even if you're doing it in a sort of repeatable manner, your yeasts are still kind of all over the place until you get to Louis Pasteur and until you get to, um, you know, Emil Hansen working at Carlsberg. And so we're really talking sort of 1857 for uh, Pasteur being like, oh, yeast, this is a thing. It's alive. It's doing things. And everyone else being like, what? <laughs> Mind blown. Which again, is not to say that people before didn't know that they had to do something. And we've talked a little bit about it on our kind of yeast 101 episode on how, you know, you might be using what was left over from your last brew. You knew there was a reason you were doing that, like you do with sourdough starter or anything else uh, along those lines. But I think there's some really interesting discussions going on now kind of among like beer history and beer archaeology nerds over like, was all beer prior to, we'll say, that sort of sophisticated commercial brewing sour? And we don't think so. And again, there's some really interesting discussions out there. But by the same token, I think there's a flip side to that, though a lot of things that we think of as as commercial beers, like even thinking about, you know, sort of say 19th century Guinness, probably would have been pretty sour compared to what we're mm. used to. And um, maybe that's a good segue to to think about like, what are some of these bugs mm. that make things sour or the different yeasts that might make things sour? Because in some cases, it's the yeast. In some cases, it's the bugs floating around. And in some cases, it's a bit of both or, uh, you know, yeah. we're going to what's around. So, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the main bugs that we're going to talk about, you know, some are yeasts and some are bacteria. I'm just going to kind of call them bugs, even yeah. though that sounds probably quite terrible. But the main ones we're talking about, you know, and you guys can go back to our yeast 101 episode, but um, 
Saccharomyces is our beer yeast. So that's the one that, that most brewers are going to be using for what we call a clean fermentation. Um, and even so, we, we could be using some of these other ones for a clean fermentation because there's a whole description there about whether it's clean or whether it's wild. But Saccharomyces is our main brewer's yeast. That's what you're going to look at when you're talking lagers, ales, things that are not wild, sour, or funky. Then we're going to talk about lactobacillus which is a fungus, I think, technically, but what it gives you, what it adds is lactic acid. So lactic acid is the kind of acidity that you get. It's similar to the acidity in like yogurt or mm. a kefir or kimchi and sauerkraut. You know, these kinds of sourness, they're not sharp acidic sourness, but they're, well, they are sour, but not super sharp. The opposite end of that is acetic acid, which often comes from, Brett or Britannomyces, which is another one of our big kind of bugs if we're talking about it. So Brett is a yeast, or it's, it's Britannomyces, but called Brett for short. Lactobacillus, or called Lacto for short, is a fungus. And then there's one more, which is Pediococcus, which I don't see that much of in homebrew um, society. And I, and I only see a little bit of it if I, if I read up about spontaneous and wild beers commercially, but Pediococcus does the same thing in a lot of ways to what lactobacillus does. It gives you lactic acid, but it can also do other things like change the texture of your beer. And um, there's sort of horror stories of beer becoming what they call ropey um, from mm -hmm. Pediococcus, which is, it just sounds awful, but, you know, almost changing the viscosity of your beer to be slimy or gummy and and almost stringy can you imagine i can't <laughs> we're, we're all making the worst no. faces to those who are no. listening no. we're like no thank you no no, no. sir no ma'am no. no but now you see the thing is that all of these different organisms have got different ways of helping the beer ferment or attacking certain sugars you know they all kind of do their own job and a lot of what we talk about when we're talking about mixed fermentation is using a mixture of different organisms, different bugs. So Saccharomyces is very common um, and the two main branches are your ale and lager yeasts, but you could mix Saccharomyces with Britannomyces for you know, whatever flavor you're going for. Or you could mix Saccharomyces with Lactobacillus um, for a different flavor profile. And when they're used in the fermentation also plays a really big role in what they end up tasting like. So Lactobacillus and Pediococcus will give you, you know, kind of lactic, almost, you know, kind of basic sourness. Brett can give you acetic sourness. So acetic is more like vinegar. So it can give you a vinegary kind of sharpness as opposed to a lactic sourness, but normally only when it's exposed to a lot of oxygen. So I've got a funny suspicion that a lot of people just pass off sour beers, um, <laughs> beers that are sour as Brett barrel aged beers, um, even though you know, they probably think that nobody will know the difference because sometimes Brett beers can have a slight sourness to them, but Brett does not cause sourness. That's, you know, the, the thing I want to kind of get through to everyone. A Brett beer is not necessarily sour. Brett doesn't sour a beer. Um, and only if it's been exposed to a lot of oxygen would it add some acetic acid. Um, but they also, they give you different tastes. And Brett especially is one that people are just, I think people are loving Brett at the moment. You know, you, you, you get all different kinds of beer styles that, you know, take an IPA and barrel age it with some Brett, you know, and it changes the character. But if you ferment a beer with no other yeast and you just use Brett, it's comes out pretty clean and it can often give you 
almost tropical flavors. So it doesn't give you the sort of funky horse blanket, you know, barnyardy flavors that we know bread to be. That often comes from a secondary fermentation. So leaving it in a barrel for eight months or more, but only after the primary fermentation is done, because the Saccharomyces should take care of the big sugars and the bread needs to actually work quite hard to give you those cool flavors that we're looking for from a, a beer with bread in it. But yeah, there's, there's loads of different bugs. And I know that a lot of home brewers are experimenting with literally using yogurt or kefir grains or all sorts of other sources of different um, organisms and bacteria and bugs to help either sour beer or to give it some sort of funky complexity. But yeah, those are the main ones. And I think that's that's so interesting. And I want to make sure that uh, Katie and Christine are bringing you guys in because I think we've all got some opinions about these kinds of beers or maybe our perceptions of these kinds of beers or favorite styles. So I know, Christina, you are all about the Belgian ones. I wonder if you want to mention some of those styles and just kind of what you like about those those flavors, that kind of character that comes from either this kind of you know spontaneous fermentation or inoculating with some of these fun little bugs. Yeah, so I actually went on a beer trip um, to Belgium, specifically to drink beer there, um, because these kinds of beers, I like all different kinds of Belgian beers, but particularly the wild fermented um, ales are like heart, love them. Like I'm, I'm very much obsessed with them. Um, so, you know, drank my way through uh, Bruges and Brussels. Um, and then have gone back in other places, Antwerp and Ghent, um, later on a different trip. Um, and I, I just adore them. I, all of them, and I mean all of them. I have not had one I haven't liked that was made in Belgium. There's a caveat. <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll come we'll back, back to that. that. Um, but I have, I have yet to have one from Belgium that I didn't like. Some much more than others. Um, but nothing that was undrinkable or that I, I just simply didn't like. And um, I like all of them, like truly, <laughs> truly like all of them. I really like, um, I like a Flanders Red. I like an Ode Bruin. I like your Lambics. I love a Creek. Um, big fan of cherries. And actually, mm -hmm. that's one of the beers I can actually get my mom to drink. My mom doesn't like beer, oh. but she will drink a Lambic. And she will oh, drink that's... a Creek. That's interesting because I do think there's a real kind of case to be made there for people who are, you know, wine people, which I'm air quoting, but I can see an absolute, you know, affinity for those kind of things, um, which again is maybe why I'm not a big fan of some of those. I don't, I don't like creeks. I don't like lambics. They're not for me, but Katie, Katie, you're making the same face. I know we're, I'm not we're in big, that same camp. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan at all <laughs> now i am trying this yeah and i'm sipping yeah. away on it and it's not making me want to it's not making my face pucker up and things like that <laughs> but you know would i would i choose it ever in a bar probably not you know i, I think I there's know. always some like I, there are a couple that i make exceptions for here and there and 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 again to, to tandy's point about sort of the the breath like in my head which may or may not be accurate, but in my head, I'm like, I don't like Brett. But do I not not like Brett, which again, I'm air quoting, or do I not like some variation on it? Or maybe I don't like Brett and some of these things where that's not actually what's happened, but that's what we've called it for, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Because I do think there's some of that. And 
I know we were talking before we started recording about when you look at some of the American wild ales, they can all, and this is again, a blanket, blanket statement, horse blanket statement, (laughs) but some of them can be so extra down those, you know, those sort of flavor profiles. And and again, there's, you know, there's a broader, there's a bigger market and you can do these kind of more extreme things. But I, I just wonder like, huh, how many of them started off intentionally? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I just want to comment because I'm really not a big wine fan. Like I drink wine occasionally, but wine is just really not my jam. But I really, really do love wild beers. That said, I don't know if everyone who's listening is familiar, but there was a sour candy when I was growing up called Atomic Warheads and it was like so, so sour. And I was always the child that shoved as many in my mouth as humanly possible. So really tart, sour beers are... (laughs) just a continuation of a childhood obsession so um yeah yeah well and and then again I know we talked about it a little bit on our descriptors episode and on our our other sour episodes but there is that difference between that sort of sour sour or that kind of funkiness like there's a really Mm -hmm. broad spectrum there and these things don't necessarily track although I will say like I can usually say I like like the lactobacillus kind of sour that you find in a Berliner Weiss or or often in a Goza but hmm. you know and again like I think about um the Schnitt oil Berliner Weisses which do have that bit of bread and that I think yep. was lovely so I think again is it about the execution versus kind of the the name on the bottle I I, mm. I don't know I I don't know but but I wonder Katie if you've got something similar where you like maybe one kind of things in that direction but not another or maybe prefer one to the other but it's also okay if you don't so I I look I used to not at all but I'm going to say that perhaps my palate is is becoming more accustomed to them. <laughs> I won't go into why. You all know why if you <laughs> listen to our last episode. <laughs> but um yeah, I can I can actually palate this. I I just the whole sour flavor doesn't appeal to me. It's like I don't like kimchi. Yeah. I don't I don't like salt and vinegar crisps even. Mm. yeah we well, see that that, that makes sense mm. then that makes these sense. are all my favorite oh. foods <laughs> yeah same hard same yeah no I, I feel like I've got such a weird mix of it and, and I, I I'll cast my mind back to when there was this first sort of big renaissance of well I'm air quoting sort of wild the most meaning spontaneous fermentation beer in the states and kind of early 2000s when um a lot of people were like we're going to be putting in a cool ship we're going you know it was a big thing and everyone was you know, putting out their American wild ale and there were all these different sort of versions of things floating around. But I look around and I feel like there are a couple of those that have stood the test of time, but you really only get them locally, you know, kind of if you know, you know, but like, like I think like Allagash makes one. I, I can think of a couple others that maybe are still going, but I feel like there was this big quick flash in the pan there and it it and then it just kind of died to death and I haven't seen it except as kind of, one-offs whereas I feel like maybe it's because you know it is a living tradition in Belgium and then we've got some really interesting producers here we'll talk about like I I wonder if it's just a different you know sort of different uh, market for that kind of thing and I don't don't know and are there very big differences we'll say between the traditional wild ales in in we'll say Belgium and Germany and then in in the U.S. and North America are they very different are they I wonder. I'm I'm reading the beer Bible, Jeff Fowler's beer Bible. And and from what I can kind of gather from here, it just seems like the American wild ales are just more. Mm. 
and and that's more sour that's just more 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 which is really down to taste you might like that you might not like that as so much but it does he has a few quotes on here but it says they just seem to be like more sour just like i said just more yeah I, and again i'd say there are some individual ones that i've really liked but it, on the whole I and mean, this is just my my personal opinion the ones i have had were mostly not to my taste because of that they just tended to be so extreme and again this was very much that age of extremes this is just before the the sort of um you, you know the sort of ipa arms race kicked off so i feel like they you know that market was primed for that kind of thing but i feel like the the rest of the world maybe either you know had an existing tradition and we're like, well, we've already got a thing or took the bits and pieces of that that they thought would work for them, but didn't feel like pushing it to, you know, th this sort of extreme. And and mm -hmm. I also don't know, you know, how much of that might have been kind of marketing versus a real, real thing. But um, but I feel like, yeah, it's it, it it all sort of moved on over there. And, you know, when I was over there for the holidays, I'm like, it's still all the pastry stouts. I don't see, though, many of the, you know, the, the sort of wild fermented things, again, with some of those small exceptions but but maybe that's a, a good segue too because we were again talking before we started about some of the folks doing this kind of thing here and it does tend to be on a smaller scale even by our standards mm. it tends to be on a smaller scale so I, I don't know if everyone's got some some favorite producers in this in this area I know Tandy's got some but Katie let's start with you because you mentioned Wide Street and I think there might be a couple others floating around yeah out there. Wide Street um specialize in their wild fermentation also, there's uh, there's canvas. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. We uh, love canvas. We do love canvas. There's land and labor. Those are my way. favorites. They're yeah. so good. They and make such awesome beer. You have Otter Bank. Mm. Oh yes, don't yes. we? They've got some good ones. And um, I know that Dot does a lot of barrel aged wild. Yes, wild yeah. ales as well. Yeah, and then, but I do think that some breweries might be reticent to introduce it. I know Kinnig do Kinniger have have a special funky farm that they just use for mm. their their wild yeah their to keep everything yeast. very separate yeah. for yeah, for obvious reasons yeah. Well, yeah. then again, you get Connemara who do primarily very clean lagers and ales but all they do is open ferment so it's not mm. so much about wild fermentation but they are open fermenting and their beers are not sour not laced with bread or lacto or pediococcus or any of the other bugs so it, it also just shows you that open fermentation is also not a guarantee for a no. wild ale because mm -hmm. you can absolutely control the environment um but still open ferment because there's lots of other benefits to the beer yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important point that you can use any of these tools or any of these methods to get whatever outcome you're looking for these days because you have control over other things like temperature. Mm -hmm. And of course, sanitation is a huge one that would have been much tougher in the past. Um, but yeah, even even just kind of inoculating with your house bugs or your house yeast is, is something that, you know, you you, you have control over to, to a, a greater extent than you would have done in the past. So I, I do think yeah. that's a, a really important one. But but Katie do, also, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tandy. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I do I do think there, there is another reason that a lot of brewers don't really focus on these kinds of beers, and it's because they take an age. You know, it's in a way, I quite like the idea of if a beer went wrong for whatever reason, stick it into stick it into a barrel with bread, age it for a year or two, and see what comes out of it. Right. You know, don't pretend that it was deliberate, but see what comes out. And if it's actually a lovely beer, brilliant, release it. But I think a lot of people 
would really hate to take up their tanks and their barrels and all the yeah. things um because these beers take forever you know brett itself takes at least six to eight months to really start giving character to anything sometimes two years you know that's a very long time and it's a lot of capital that you're almost sitting on and waiting and waiting for it to mature to to ever see anything so i'd, I'd be surprised you know these kind of smaller breweries that almost focus on mixed firm or um or blending like Otterbank do you know i think they've often got a different revenue stream you know that keeps right. them going and this is almost a i don't want to say a pet project because i know that these <laughs> are their focuses as breweries but you, you've almost got to have a different way of making money and keeping things going yeah and i think the blending is such an interesting one um and i i do wonder too and this is almost sort of a thought experiment i do wonder if there's going to be more of that here just because there is the tradition of, of whiskey blending so there are people who are trained in this kind of you know who have the skill effectively knowing how to do these kind of blends and and you know katie you mentioned dot where uh for, for those who are not familiar with, with dot brewing he, he'll get his base beer from a couple of the usual breweries around here whether that's hope or, or a couple of the other guys then he'll go off and and take it to the what was it the shed behind the tesco um where he's got all these barrels uh just off and, the south circular road yeah yes yeah and uh puts them in the barrels and and that's you know part of the magic but i think the the more you, you know i don't want to say the more skilled because i don't know but i think the part that's kind of the the magic or that's the the sort of um the skill there is around the blending how do you know when it's time to do it, which ones to do. Again, you, you this is a, you know, something that comes out of, you know, sort of working in like whiskey, you know, the, the distilling and blending is such an important part of that. But when you're doing it with beer, it's such a tricky thing. Cause I mean, I'm sure it is with whiskey too, but you don't quite know what you're going to get. And I, I remember I was mm. having a, a conversation with, uh, with someone about that saying, sometimes you have these things and it doesn't taste intentional. And you're like, eh. but when you have a good one, you're like, even if it's something that's not to your taste, you're like, no, this is what they meant to do. This is what they were mm -hmm. going for. So I think there's something in there around the kind of, did they get what they wanted out of it before they released it to the, the public? And I don't know, and Christina, to, to go back to you, I think we like the, some of the Belgian ones, like it's very, you, you can see like the, the decades or even centuries of experience in some of those things with some of those blends, like you might find in, in some of the, um, you know, thinking about some of the lambics and creeks that are, will then later be blended. But I wonder if you've got thoughts over some favorite ones or ones you're just like, oh, I look forward to it, even if I don't know what I'm going to get. Oh, for me, like I like all of them. I feel like I'm drinking history. Um, <laughs> favorite breweries. Oh, goodness. Um, well, in the, sort of in the run up to Christmas, when I was talking about like the beers that I was hoarding, I talked about a couple of different Belgian breweries. Um, so like Obercel and um, Dre Fontaine and mm. um, Boone, um, I really like them. Um, but you can pretty much see me buying anything that I see this is, you know, I, I'm not too fussed. Like I will try <laughs> the new, you know, whatever beer people put in front of me um, in terms of like a Belgian style, you know, as long as it kind of fits in there, I'm, I'm, I'm very much game to try it. Um, yeah. So those are just a few, but there's, oh God, mm. there's, there's so many more. <laughs> there's a lot out there. And I, I do wonder, maybe we should, we should take a step back for a minute. So we say, which ones are blends? Which ones are not? How mm. do I know if you're new to this? So Tandy, you're, you're nodding. You've got some, you've got some yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I've got some thoughts. I mean, look, largely you're going to think of two different categories of these kinds of beers. And one is what in the BJCP anyway, is mm. called European Sour Ale. 
they're not always sour but yeah just for the sake of of clarity it's um you know style number 23 european sour <laughs> ale and we've got within there we've got berliner weiss which as we know from our episode with schneeule um historically would have contained brett so actually if you're brewing a yeah. berliner weiss try try adding some brett and um, flanders red ale which is a lovely one um because it has a lot of red wine characteristics so lisa you mentioned that and i think in a lot of ways people who like a, a really rich deep burgundy or a red wine might really like a flanders red mm. um even though it has got a tartness and a sourness um that you maybe wouldn't expect then there's the oat brune so that is your sort of sour brown kind of beer um lovely stuff then we get into lambics gyrza and fruit lambics or your creeks so mm. Lambics are effectively your young, spontaneously fermented beers, okay? Your Gerzes, and I, I actually think I'm saying it wrong. I think it's Gers, but yes. Your Gers is actually your blended. So, so you'd be using young and old blended Lambics. And that's where the art of a Gers comes in, is in the blend, as yeah. opposed to the brewing. And then your fruit Lambics are literally, take a Lambic and stick it on a fruit. So cherries or blueberries or whatever the case is, it can be young or older. It can also be blended, but Gers is really the one that's that's well known for the blends. And then Goza is obviously got salt and 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 coriander and, and you know spices, but it's mostly the, the salt in it as well. So um I mean, th those are the sort of European ones. And now if we get into, you know, as Christina said, the American wild ales, you know, that's the whole other big category of these kind of wild beers. For the BJCP, there's a, a distinction only to the point that you could enter a beer under a Brett beer. So if you're using Brett and you want the Brett to be noticed, enter it under a Brett beer and then describe it. You know, describe the base beer, describe what you did so that the judges know what to do. Mixed fermentation sour beer. So you could obviously have a mixed firm beer that's not really that sour, but yeah. this is the sour one, a wild speciality beer. So it's, it's exactly as open as it sounds. It can be kind of a lot of things as long as you're describing it and a straight sour beer. So there's, there's, there's a whole bunch, but I mean, when it comes to, to other kinds of blends, I mean, Gers is the one that springs to mind for me anyway. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, because historically you would have had a lot of other kinds of blended beers, but we just don't have that anymore in most other places. I mean, you, you would have had a lot of um, your sort of English stock ales and old ales would have been mm. blended like a mix of very young, young, you know, mild ale would have also often been blended with something that's been aging for months, even years. You know, some of these things would have been going around for ages, but that's just not a tradition that still really exists anymore. Although I think there is some um, speculation versus sort of uh, folksonomies that that's how we, you know, get Britannomyces because the British would have been aging beers. They would have had this sort of Brett character associated. So that's how we get Britannomyces as the name of the yeast because mm -hmm. it was just associated with some of these British beers that tended to be aged and maybe got a kind of sour you know, sour character to them. Um, but, but again, I, again well, we'd love to get some other people on to talk about this. Well, so. interestingly enough as well, because, you know, we did say this in our IPA episode that it's very likely that IPAs would have had Brett in them. Yeah. Now, because they were traveling long distances, it may very well have matured and kind of, you know, evened out and, and come out the other side tasting very much like a well-balanced beer. That's all grand. But what, what also happens with Brett specifically is that it can give you flavors of 
pineapple and papaya and tropical fruits, which might have already, which might have just added more of that kind of fruity, hoppy character to what we now know as an IPA, which I think is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's that would be a really interesting thing to dig into and see what you get when you do make some of these, like especially with like older hops and what what character do you mm-hmm. get out of them with some of these older yeasts? And I guess that's one of the things, you know, it's it's hard to find those older yeasts, although sometimes you do. I, I used to love Flag Porter, which was brewed with a yeast that came up from a shipwreck. And uh, that was gorgeous. And, and it's interesting, again, there was nothing about that beer that was in any way sour or I would say even the little bit, you know, I'm in an air quote, like bready. It wasn't like that at all. It was very sort of clean kind of porter. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's sort of showing that it wouldn't necessarily be the yeast that made some of these beers either, you know, sort of sour or anything else. But um, this the, this particular yeast would have been, I want to say the shipwreck was from 1825. So again, this is before people even know exactly what's happening, but they just got it out of the old bottles and it's it fascinating stuff, but it was a very clean fermenting yeast. So again, that's saying, you know, some of these older beers would not necessarily have been in any way, you know, sort of necessarily sour, even though they were probably open fermented and uh, but again, it just kind of depends how they were doing it, what, you know, what was happening mm. at that particular brewery. So, so many things mm. around sort of terroir and all that good stuff. Mm. It is actually fascinating because I saw a few different articles about, you know, tips for home brewers when brewing with all these different organisms. And one or two of the articles that I read spoke about getting aged hops uh, to oh. complement um, effectively the long maturation periods of Brett and other and other organisms. Now that was really interesting to me because typically when you're making a beer, hop freshness is paramount to right. a, a beer coming out really well. And one of the tips was, you know, if you're unsure about either aging your own hops or you don't want to buy aged hops, um, rather keep your IBUs low. So, you know, only use enough hops to kind of just balance the beer. Whereas, yep, some people will add in a bucket load of aged hops and that's so strange because yeah it normally adds papery qualities or cardboard and oxidization and all these other characters but I guess if you're going for something that's going to I don't know age for 18 months to two years um, and live in wood where there's you know things that you don't know growing in there and you actually it's going to be an experiment anyway so I don't know some people talk about it oh that's fascinating yeah and Mm. it it would never have occurred to me to take older hops we'll say that yep. mature uh, mm. and dump them in because yeah immediately I'm thinking you're going to get that sort of that wet cardboard kind of flavor you get from uh like say a Dortmund or export that's gone off just the, the the voice of experience here do do not do not want gorgeous beer when it's fresh but oh goes in a in a direction but mm. um but yeah oh gosh that's really really interesting huh I'm gonna have to put a pin in that one and come yeah. back to it later but I don't know. So, so Katie, you're, you're sort of nodding. I'm wondering, are there, are, are we opening your mind? Are there some you want to try now where you're like, oh, maybe that kind versus that kind might be a good experiment, but it's also possibly, still an experiment. So Possibly. I think they would all be in a, an experiment. And I suppose I'm wondering, so sour beers don't necessarily have to be wild. They can exactly. be, they can be soured in other ways. And then what about a Saison? Are they generally ah. wild? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a really good question and i think that we need to do a style garden saison specifically okay. because there is a bunch of history there but what i'll tell you is that uh, saisons according to the bjcp specification would not have brett in it but it doesn't mean that it 
couldn't be wild or spontaneously fermented. So mm. because they were effectively farmhouse ales, the, the location and the terroir of all of the different farms that would have had their own beer, they would have had their own yeasts. It's invariable that they would have been spontaneous or wild fermented. We don't always have that today, but the only mm. thing that at least the BJCP says is that it shouldn't include Brett unless you specified and, and enter it into a different category which I thought was quite fascinating because to me, Brett huh. goes really well with the flavor profile of, of a Saison. Um, and I like Bretted Saison. So that, cause that's interesting because that's one that does work for me. So that's, mm-hmm. that is interesting that it is yep. called out and that almost makes it, again, sort of putting my, my old archeologist hat on. I wonder how much Brett means Brett versus Brett is just a sort of ritual word that is magic mm-hmm. in and of itself and has, you know, it's almost lost its meaning in some way, in the same way that, you know, somehow now everything can be an IPA. Sure, yeah. why not? You know, it's just <laughs> a sort of meaningless series of characters that may or may not mean anything. But I, I do think it's so interesting that, you know, we still see on, you know, as branding on on beer, whether it's sort of real or not, things are very, you know, very much do want to be identified if there are wild or spontaneously fermented or sour, regardless of whether that souring was done mm-hmm. on purpose or maybe not on purpose. Um, but I think it's interesting that you'll often see that the broad category, but you may not get real detail of what you're going to get inside unless you already know it. I wonder if that puts people off from trying mm. if, they, if they're not already kind of committed. So mm. I don't know, how could, how could people be better about maybe describing some of those flavors? And this may go back to our descriptors episode of like, is it funky versus tart? Or just thinking, how is there a simple vocabulary that could help people just know what they're getting. I think um, half the problem is that people package beer before they've tasted it. (laughs) (laughs) In in all seriousness, I think people have decided the name of the beer, they've decided the style, they've decided everything before it even goes out the door. Whereas tasting it, figuring out the right description, then naming it and all the things would possibly go a long way to being able to actually describe it. Because you know, you also no two wild in you know air quotes. Mm. No two wild beers are going to taste exactly the same. Absolutely. You know, that's the whole appeal of them is that they're always just slightly different. You know, there's something that that makes them you know related to each other. You know, whether it's a bit of tartness or a bit of acid or whatever the case is, or that horse blankety hay stuff that you know you can sometimes get, but they don't taste the same. Um, so, yeah, I think that people should just make sure that they've actually tasted it. Yeah. So they can describe it properly. What you all got to do is you got to get a friend who likes them and then you go, oh, can I taste that one? And then you just figure out, oh, okay, I, I'll, I'll get one of them for myself, but I didn't like the last one. You know, that's the way to do it. And I think yeah. that's, it's nice when you go out with a, a group of people with diverse palettes and, and you, you're all into different things and you do a swap. Like I actually still have some beers left over from Christmas where some were just not to my to my liking that I would I would gratefully give to other people to try out if they wanted to you know I think that's the way to do it to introduce people to to new flavors and styles yeah absolutely there's a lot to be said for a bottle or can swap and this is you know the right time of year to do it even if someone's doing a dry January they could take it home and and just put it in their their little hoard and you know try it in February or if they're doing a triannuary you know perfect timing but yes I've got some of those as well so Maybe that's also um, a reminder for, you know, beer nerds, meet up with your friends, bring those things that maybe weren't to your taste, but you know, we're good and just uh, swap around. You might, uh, you might get some mm. good stuff. There, there used to be a, a really wonderful um, annual bottle swap um, 
in Philly, that was a whole epic event. And it would, you would get hundreds of people and just huge numbers of things traded around things from all over the world. And it was just like so much fun to get so many people in a, a relatively small place kind of nerding out over some of these, like some of these were not good to be clear, but others were just great and unusual. And, you know, at least you're trying it and you're amongst friends. And if you didn't like it, you know, sure there'd be someone you could pass it to for whom it was just what they were looking for. So I know that's kind of a pre-COVID, you know, we probably don't do as much of that anymore, but it's still nice to be able to try things with other people and find the right home for it if it's not for you, or maybe discover something that's you didn't think you would like, but it turns out is your jam, so. I'll tell you what, another slightly tangential shout is, you know, last year um, there was that wild beer fest in Malangar. Oh yes. Which was super fun, but that's another way, you know, if, if, they happen to do it again that would be really fun because it's a really nice way of tasting you know ex- expanding your palate and tasting new beers um and and no one of those beers and i think there were about 16 on on show no one of them tasted the same or even close to each other they were just very different beers and i think it's a real testament to the irish and um, beer market or you know beer market in general that we could actually hold a wild beer fest it's very cool yeah, that, that's a great point. And like we were saying, there are some people who are specializing in this. There's some people who are doing a sideline in it. There's a bit of both, but it's it's great that, you know, we have kind of a, a mature enough, if you like, scene where you can do some of these like more niche kind of one-off things and get people out and get people trying them. And I think that's that's a really good point. And yeah, we'll have to keep an eye out and see if there are going to be, I, I do feel like mm. there's going to be some more of these more unusual beer festivals or or maybe even not festivals, but kind of meetups in the next few months than mm. we have had in previous years for for obvious reasons, but that would be a lot of fun. I don't know, is, is there another kind we need to manifest into into existence? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Wild beer fest. I don't know. I mean, I know I want a cask fest, but you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep sitting here and waiting. I, I don't know, Katie. You, what about you? You've got a smile. Oh yeah, I'm I'm not gonna manifest. <laughs> I'm not no gonna manifesting. <laughs> no manifesting wild beer. Well, you know, I just I I just don't love them that much. It's okay. You can pick Yet. something else. You can manifest something else. That's okay too. Yeah. I'll manifest the Hefeweizens. Come that on. That could be fun. That could be fun. Christina, if you have to manifest a festival that doesn't exist or that you want more of, what's your what what are you looking for? What are you oh, calling wild on? Ales. All of that. You're going more for wild ales. Yeah. Perfect. Definitely. Nice. Oh, good stuff. And again, this is a topic we could do very, very, very deep dives into. We know we're just scratching the surface here, but this is something where it's kind of the starting point. We may drill down and do a kind of, you know, Wild Ales 102 or 202 or whatever the next one is. We just want to sort of have a, a brief, you know, dip of a t- dip of a toe into kind of what's out there. But we'd love to hear from you folks, you know, so hit us up on the socials. Let us know, are there certain kinds you'd like to know more about? Are there certain kinds you think are being done really well here in Ireland or ones where you're like, oh, I wish we did X or Y, because I, I would love to, to hear more about it. But just before we sort of go around and, and sort of sum up, um, I do wonder, have, has anyone or have any of us been to a brewery where they're doing any of this kind of spontaneous fermentation, just seen it in action. I'm, I'm curious. No, I don't know. Christine, I have, but I'm not, I'm not going to name the brewery for a reason. Fair. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Um, I've been to, um, I think I've been to a couple actually, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm not going to name the breweries, I think, because I 
forget mostly that, that's a also long crazy. time ago yeah. um but yeah no I I definitely know that I've seen it in action before yeah. and it's really kind of cool but my mind is just yeah yeah and how about you Katie have you seen any of those where you're like it's not for me but it's interesting to watch the process no never I can't comment on this at all <laughs> in, any, in any way shape or form uh and tandy you're shaking your head now no too. no i can't i can't think of of anywhere that i've been that i've seen it in action um besides watching youtube videos i've watched a lot of, of course <laughs> yeah hey nothing wrong with that yeah I, and I, I know i've seen a couple in belgium um and again this is years and years ago and i've seen two american ones but they were both it was the, it was the whole like come see the cool shit before we start using it kind of thing and it was very <laughs> again in retrospect and like what a weird thing that they had people come out to like see an empty you know metal trough basically but yes. where <laughs> did the name cool ship come from is it Ooh. like a cool spaceship type well, thing or is it old it's k-o-e-l s is it s-c-h-i-p or am i i might have inserted an extra no i think you're right an extra um we're there but i Let's see. I guess is it Dutch? I guess is it Flemish versus French? I'm not sure. I've seen I've seen it spelled a number of different ways. One is K O E L S H I P, so cool, almost a, a Dutch or a, a Flemish cool. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it spelled the way that we'd probably, I suppose, anglicize it, so C O O L S H I P. But yeah, I'm not sure where it comes from. But I know that it's it's just a way of cooling beer down. And um, so you know, typically you try and crash cool the beer. Um, right. You know, you crash you crash cool it so that certain bacteria and stuff don't grow. But when you're using a cool ship, you almost take the beer, let it cool down at its own time. It builds up a little oxygen blanket, and it's got lots. You know, it's got enough sort of porous um the, the the sort of nature of the little blanket on top in a way has got a porous nature that lets the good things in that we want and keeps the bad stuff out so to speak now listen i don't know that much about it but it <laughs> i think it was just kind of gimmicky for a long time you know for i people. agree you know, i you feel like actually need a cool ship to make to make a well-crafted let's say spontaneous adjacent beers you know, I you, think don't, you don't fair. need these kinds of things. You can actually hone it in. You know, you can buy Brett in a sachet just yeah. the way that you're now buying Saccharomyces in a sachet. So you can, you don't need for it to come from wild and weird well, places. You in that case, it. is Brett actually a wild ale if it's being cultivated? Technically. It <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need to be spontaneously yeah. fermented for it yeah. to still be a Brett beer or a wild, you know, the source of the, of the yeast is a, not Saccharomyces, so therefore wild. But there's a lot of debate, you know, as to how pedantic do we get about right. whether it's whether it's spontaneous, open, wild, and um, based on how you've inoculated it. But yeah, yeah, and, and actually that's a good point. You maybe just a shout out to the the fact that I think just before the holidays they they found sort of the ancestor of brewing yeast uh, at, at UCD. So that's the first time they found it in Europe. People knew it had to be somewhere but just mm -hmm. like well done to them for coming across that and sequencing it and would love to see what else is coming out of their their labs because that's super exciting and who knows i think there's a lot more work to be done there where we can find out all sorts that we just don't know yet about kind of the the, the sort of genealogy of, of yeast and kind of the 
you know, you know, the way it works sort of, or the genetics of yeast that we know bits and pieces, but, um, but again, I'd love to see the same things done about hops too, because modern hops are so different from historic hops, but that's a whole, that's a whole another rabbit hole to, to go down. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking us off topic, but back to, back to our wild, spontaneous stuff. Well, we'll get ready to wrap up, but does anyone have any final thoughts, favorite styles or something you're like, I wish I could get that here in Ireland and maybe, and again, it doesn't have to be a brand, just thinking of a, a style or maybe a, you know, a particular flavor. I don't know. You, you know, 2022, I think I really leaned into gozers. So I just want to see more of them. I'd like to see more, but but I'm always keen. Anything that's got a, a bit of a tartness, a little bit of acid in it, um, whether it's wild or whether it's just kettle soured, I'm keen. Bring it on. Here, here. Katie, how about you? You're learning, you're With, trying, you're experimenting. I'm, lear I'm learning, I'm trying. I've got a very young palate here. <laughs> Pity the rest of me isn't as young with regards to, <laughs> but you know what? I'll give it a lash. I'll give it a go and I'll see and I'll try. I'll keep trying. Here, maybe here. one, maybe one day I'll be manifesting, but not. <laughs> and Christina, I think you've got some beer travel in your future where you're going to be getting some of these. Um, so what, what what are you looking forward to? Um. Well, yeah. Um. More of the same. <laughs> Basically, like, I have no complaints. <laughs> No complaints. I love that. Wild ale, no complaints. All good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be, Katie, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep trying some again every now and then. I am pleasantly surprised. Like we, we talked about with uh, the Schnee oil Berliner Weiss with that bit of bread. I was like, oh, I do like this. Um, so, you know, it's just finding what's that magic, you know, sort of that magic combination that works, whether it's officially wild or wild or wild, however we want to define that. Because it's all, it all gets a little bit, you know, fuzzy. So. With that said, I think we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll we'll wrap up there. So first, I want to thank everyone for joining. Uh, so thank you to Christina and Katie and Tandy. And a reminder to all of you out there in internet land, we are on all your socials at Beer Ladies Pod. You can buy us a coffee or a pint. You can do all sorts of things if you go to our link tree. You can buy some merch. You can find everything just by looking for, for Beer Ladies Pod. If you listen to our, our live episode, thank you. If you came to it, thank you even more. You all are amazing. So uh, definitely something we'll be uh, maybe repeating at some point in the future. But with that said, I think we'll say adios for now and we will see you next week. Bye. 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 Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.